Hi, everybody. Welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm thrilled to bring you this episode. I've been wanting to bring an episode about home birth and midwifery on for a while now. And I decided to bring on Lindsay Melis because she's someone, she's a midwife that I followed all during my pregnancy. And she wasn't my midwife. I love my midwives. They were fantastic. My midwives are home birth honey out of Austin. And Lindsay was just somebody that I really resonated with because there was so much spirituality that she brought into birth and her own personal journey and story really inspired me as well. And we had a beautiful conversation about birth and the empowerment that can come from birthing. And she also just gives some history about birth that may surprise you. And I love that she's part of the huge tribe of people coming forward that are really empowering women to not feel so scared about birth and not to see it as a disease, not to see it as this huge medical event, but to really see it as something that's as natural as life itself. So for the past 20 years, Lindsay Milas has worked in healthcare, but found herself often in the shadows, in the shadows of the night, helping women discover their own strength through psychedelic transcendent experience while they birth their babies in power at home. She also found herself in the shadows of death as a midwife who helps people cross the rainbow bridge. Her hands have touched the lives of many as they take their first and last breath. She's woven the stories of thousands of birth throughout the 20 years. Trained traditionally and licensed through the medical board, she quickly learned that what is needed in the magic and mystery of birth and death can't be found in a book. She serves families from womb to tomb, like many medicine women have done throughout lifetimes, with a deep remembering that many of these witches were burned at the stake for their threat to the standard industrialized medical complex. She's witnessed a drastic shift in healthcare since 2020 and looks forward to co-creating a new future of what true medicine always was. She gets down to the nitty gritty of life and everything it brings and illustrates the power that we have within showing that birth, life, and death are pivotal rites of passage that deserve to be held in sacred, deep reverence. You can learn more about Lindsay at her website, theremembering.co. And I want to thank my sponsor for this episode, which is Organifi. You always get 20% off all of your Organifi products when you go to Organifi.com slash over it and use over it as the promo code. Today, I want to talk to you about their green product. So eating healthy and getting your nutrition shouldn't be a pain in the butt, time consuming and expensive. And organic veggies can get pretty expensive and not always that convenient to shop for, depending on where you live and what season it is, so on and so forth. So you can subscribe to Organifi and get their green powder delivered. And it costs only $1.98 per day to get like a, basically vegetables in a powder. And you can really, really trust Organifi's product. I love them. I love the way that they make things. I love their ethos. And I love the way their products taste. Their green has a clinical dose of ashwagandha made with clinically studied KSM 66 ashwagandha to help reduce stress, promote relaxation, improve quality of life, support a healthy immune system, promote memory and concentration, control stress-related things, food cravings, support quality of sleep, support physical performance and endurance, and support sexual health. Hey, pretty good for $1.95 a day. And if you don't want to subscribe, you can just go to Organifi.com slash over it and get 20% off any of your orders using the promo code over it. And now on to my conversation with Lindsay. 
Lindsay, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm so glad to finally be here. Oh, I know. All those babies that came kind of had us reschedule a couple of times. So I love it. It's it's a great reason. <laughs> it is. And what's funny is, like I said, I've been at a birth this morning. So yeah. it's, you know, life is always here. Life is always lifey. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, where do I even want to start? There's so many things I want to talk to you about. And this is such a great conversation to just hopefully maybe op- open people's minds, open people's hearts and and soothe some mama's hearts out there that might be beating themselves up for some things. Or I just know like mamas have a tendency to be really hard on ourselves and yeah. um, deal with guilt and regret and all, all those kinds of things. So I just know this is going to be a really enriching call. So that's just who you are. Um, I want to back up before we go into the specifics, because in your introduction, I talked about being a midwife and home birth, and I'd love for you to just define what a midwife actually is, because there might be some misconceptions about the word midwife. Yeah, I would love that. So the word midwife means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So midwifery has been at the heart and soul of the community since the beginning of time. Um, I always say that we were the OG family physicians. Traditionally, midwives were in the community. They were the medicine woman. They were the um, you know, keeper of all the herbs in the community. Uh, they carried people from womb to tomb. And that's basically how I practice. I really practice as a traditional midwife. And I know that there's many different routes that people can enter in. Um, but even people like the World Health Organization are recognizing that if we and have more midwives within the communities. They're saying that there's a shortage of 800 to 900,000 midwives worldwide. And if we were to have the training to instill these programs to train midwives, that we would have a huge reduction of death within communities because midwives are, like I said, that traditional OG family doctor. Mm-hmm. So my favorite is when I get young women and you know adolescents and talk about their cycles and talk about what cervical discharges and mm-hmm. talk about the changes in their breasts and and then follow those women up until their fertility journeys, you know, going into that conscious conception and then moving in through the pregnancy and, and taking that journey throughout the pregnancy into labor and birth. And then postpartum, to me, postpartum is nowhere near six weeks. I think that we really need to look at postpartum as a three-year period and, and then you're a mother for life. So it's really all encompassing of that as well. And what I've noticed is that that part of the beauty of the way that I practice midwifery is I get to watch all these little babies grow up. And I have some babies that are coming up. I'm, I'm close to this 20-year mark here in January. So I have kids that have graduated high school. And I feel like I'm going to be in this place where these kids are going to be coming back and having babies with me, which will be such a full circle moment. Oh, that is such a full circle moment. Yeah. And it goes by so fast, doesn't it? It's so fast. Oh, well, and and just from like more a technical standpoint, what are midwives trained in? Like, what is the training involved? So traditional midwifery is um, basically all women's health care. So like I mentioned, you know, in terms of the adolescence and then going into the birth. So I have the, the same training that a doctor would enter into. And then I have more in terms of a normal physiological birth process. Now I am not a trained surgeon, so I don't have that training. That's why OBs are there. I'm so grateful that they're there in circumstances that we need to have a surgery, but I leave that part out. And then I step into this normal physiological birth process. So I'm an expert in what birth 
has been throughout all of eternity mm-hmm. up until this little blip in time a hundred years ago when birth got brought to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, there's so much that midwives can do within that field. Like, you know, in the state of California where I practice, I can bring the same anti-hemorrhagic medications that they have in the hospital. I can start an IV at home. I can suture at home and have all the lidocaine numbing medication that they carry in the hospital. I'm trained in neonatal resuscitation every two years. So it really does parallel what's offered in a basic hospital experience outside of surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had um, people in my life that were concerned when I said I was having a home birth with midwives. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, one, one time I got frustrated, it wasn't my best moment. And I said, my midwives aren't coming with sage and crystals. Like, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, they might, it'd be in their that might be in the back too, <laughs> but, but it's not just that, you know, no. it's there, there it's that you, well, what, what I learned in my you know, when I was deciding what kind of birth I wanted is often you midwives do know more about birth than obese because, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about what physiological birth is. Um, so for people that are maybe pregnant or wanting to get pregnant or, or, or can starting to consider, do they go to an OB? Do they go to a midwife? What are some good questions to, to ask ourselves um, or ask a practitioner? You know, I really think that there's two good places to start for every person. So there was a documentary that was made in 2007, 2008 by Ricky Lake. This was called The Business of Being Born. And I really think it was a catapult into people realizing that they had options within their healthcare. Um, It started a tidal wave of women becoming informed and asking questions to their care providers. So it's, it's out there. It's you know, a quick Google search to find. I think it's a really good place for people to start to get introduced into why a low-risk woman should consider an out-of-hospital experience. There was another documentary that was made probably circa 2018 called Why Not Home. Um, This was a documentary that followed doctors and nurses and why they chose to have out-of-hospital births. And it goes through in a really beautiful manner, just like the business of being born did in terms of all the statistics, in terms of all the statistics overseas. Because even though we can look at the United States statistics, we are so far behind in terms of maternal and infant mortality rates. Like we are one of the absolute worst infant and mortality rates in the whole entire world. And we should be actually like leading this. We should be Mm -hmm. the model for how care is given. And when we look at down to the root cause of things, the majority of care that's given to women in the United States of America is not from a midwife. It's from an OB that like I said, is trained in surgery, but is also trained in pathology where they're looking at labor and birth and pregnancy and all of these things mm-hmm. as a sickness, as an emergency waiting to happen, where we look at it, we being midwives, as a normal process in everybody's life. It's worked for the 8 billion people here on the planet today. If it didn't, we wouldn't be here. And it's worked throughout all of time. You know, birth mm-hmm. is inherently as safe as life gets. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful to say birth is as safe as life gets because it's really treated in so many ways, like a, like pregnancy is a sickness mm-hmm. and birth is a procedure mm-hmm. that you need to go to the hospital for. So you mentioned something that a hundred years ago, birth was brought out of the home and into the hospital. What happened? 
It's actually one of my most favorite things to talk about is the history of midwifery. And it actually dates back prior to that where the midwife really became victimized. And that started in the late 1400s. There was a a book that was released through the Catholic Church. And they basically said that the greatest threat to the church was the midwife. And that trickled throughout the next 400, 500 years where the physicians, you know, air quotes, um, were actually had no training in medicine whatsoever. And basically their training was going and just praying over people. Now, trust me, I believe in the power of prayer. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it really did turn around and victimize. And, you know, the the word witch hunt um, is usually associated with the Salem witch hunt. But what people don't realize is that for hundreds and hundreds of years, there was this deep sister wound that was created because we were turning on each other within the communities because men thought just because we even menstruated Mm -hmm. that there was something magical and mystical with us and that we were witches and that we had to die. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those parallels in life where you get to take a step back and realize like, you know, we bleed and we don't die. Mm -hmm. Yes, that might seem magical and mystical, but it is magical and mystical. Mm -hmm. And so as we journey through how there was so much destruction within the units of community around women turning on women and men turning on women as well, then we go into the colonization of the United States. And um, really what happened is there was a lot of midwifery uh, tradition that came from Africa with the slave trade. And in the 1900s, Western medicine was really taken over by Rockefeller. Um, they realized that petroleum could really come into a pharmaceutical aspect of medical care. And they owned every single newspaper. Now imagine being, you know, 1900s, not having a phone, not having the internet, not having the, a radio. The only way to communicate and find out any news was via newspaper. Now, if the only newspapers in town were owned by one person, in which, by the way, this still happens today, mm-hmm. and any type of information that was put out in those newspapers was what people believed. So there was actual smear campaigns against what we called these granny midwives, which were these traditional African midwives, saying that they were dirty and it wasn't part of you know the up and coming times roll forward into the 1920s, the swinging 20s. Wealth was such a big thing. You were trying to keep up with your neighbors and show off your wealth. And birth got brought into the hospital. At the beginning of 1900, about 98% of births were at home. And then once we fast forward to 1945, almost 99% of births went to the hospital in that short of a period of time. So- If you think about evolutionary speaking throughout all of time, that's a really short period of time, like a blip, you know, Mm -hmm. and birth completely got transformed from this transformative, powerful experience to women laying flat on their back, being given drugs and having that whole magical experience pulled out from underneath their feet. That makes me so emotional. I learned so much and during my pregnancy and preparing for birth and I had to really watch myself to not get angry. Yeah. Because <laughs> I did. I mean, yeah. I, I think getting angry is healthy because it it gives us, you know, it shows us what we're passionate about. Of course. Uh, but I had to just like watch that because, you know, I I I just it felt so unjust in, in so many ways. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, what was the thing that women were told, or what was like the fear tactic that was used to get women out of their home to really disempower them? 
I, I think really what it was, was it was a, a wealth stature. It was, okay. you come to the hospital, then you're, you know, part of this upcoming class of society, mm-hmm. um, that it was dangerous, that the mm-hmm. granny midwives were dirty and uneducated. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what happened, I mean, we didn't even realize that it was important to wash our hands. Now, I'm not saying we as a collective in terms of midwives, but these new physicians that were going through medical school would go and do an autopsy on a, you know, a, a person that had passed away. And then they would leave that autopsy and go do a vaginal exam on a woman. And these women were dying at rapid increased rates of infection. And nobody could figure out why until someone went, oh, maybe we should wash our hands before this. So so what they were being told about these dirty, you know, awful midwives was actually way worse in the hospital setting. Of course, you know, granny midwife in the South was boiling water and cleaning towels and making sure that everything was clean for baby to come mm-hmm. into the world where in the hospital setting there was, you know, that, that huge simple piece of information was missing. Um, and it's interesting to watch how it's evolved too, because, you know, before, like my grandma had my mom in 1950. And back then there was something that was really common called scopolamine burst. Now scopolamine was a medication that was giving an anesthetic that was given. And this anesthetic would, you know, completely put women to sleep into what's called a twilight sleep. And that twilight sleep was, they, they were aware, but they forgot everything. It was almost like an amnesia. And so they would, you know, possibly be writhing in pain and be tied to a bed. Babies drug out by forceps baby's then taken away to a nursery and that initial bonding period was missing there too. So all of that has completely created this disconnected society where the most important place for a baby to be because a baby is within the same unit as a mom. I don't even look at them as different. They are the same unit Mm -hmm. should only be on mom unless there's an emergency. And I promise you that all of those babies, that's not an emergency. So We look at the surgical rate, like in the 1970s, the C-section rate was 5.9%. Now we're looking at it anywhere from 30 to 40% of Mm -hmm. women are giving birth via surgery, major abdominal surgery that's cutting Mm -hmm. through their abdomen. And, you know, these babies are just being pulled out. Now, again, I'm so grateful that we have the technology to do this, but that many amount of women do not need to be giving birth via surgery. And then we look at countries that try to model Western medicine and look up to us like what we're doing is great. And Brazil has a 95% C-section rate. You know, it's like, we're really going backwards here, people. Like this is not normal. This is not okay. We're missing out on one of the greatest gifts of life of entering through this portal of birth into this Mm -hmm. transformation and really finding our true power in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember talking to some women years ago, just about how a C-section was like chosen or was a relief because mm-hmm. I think there's so much fear so around much fear. birth and any movie where a woman's giving birth, she's screaming, she's cursing out the man who got her pregnant. She's asking for the drugs. She's sweating. She's legs up, you know, and it, 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 it just makes birth look like horrifying. Who want to do that? <laughs> yeah, it looks, it makes it horrifying. You know, recently I just posted a video of a very hands-off normal physiological birth in a bathtub. And it. the comments on that post, I think, I think it like went into another um, algorithm of people that weren't looking for birth videos mm-hmm. because so many people started commenting like, I never even knew birth could be like this. The only version of birth that I've ever seen shown to me is what's on a TV show or a movie. And it's horrific. And this is so beautiful and empowering. And I feel like we've like completely missed that loop of women being able to even know that this is possible. 
Yeah, I know. And sometimes it doesn't go that way. You know, like I definitely had, I had a home birth, which was amazing. And I'm so grateful. I don't even, did I ever tell you my birth story ever? I, I got little pieces of it. It's so interesting because I feel like I love that part of us. Like, okay. like there's, there's a history between us with your pregnancy and yeah. it's so beautiful. So I feel like I got little pieces, but I don't know the full story of it. Oh, well, for those of you who are interested, I get a, I did a whole episode on it. Um, but, and I really wanted the water birth and that like, you know, the, the fetal ejaculation reflex to happen mm-hmm. and all of that. And we'll talk about physiological birth in a second. But what ended up happening was I had been tired going in because you and I had chatted because I got that scare. I put in air yeah. quotes about my amniotic fluid going to being too high, but then yeah. I just cut down my water intake and voila, it was <laughs> normal. Everything was fine. Yep. Everything was fine. And, but I had been very, you know, at 39 weeks to be told that and to be told you might need to induce and all these kinds of things. It definitely, I'm not somebody that can just kind of let things out of my brain and go to sleep. So I was sleep deprived going in water broke Friday night. And by Sunday morning, my uterus just stopped contracting because I was just very, very tired. And I was in a supportive nurturing environment. I was home and no one was putting pressure on me, but I had in my clock, I have 36 hours to get this baby out because my water broke. And that's a legal thing that midwives adhere to. Yeah. So Within, understand- it varies state to state. In California, that like my my licensure doesn't have a, a time frame on that. So every state's different. That's so nice because yeah. it was, and no one was saying to me, Christine, watch the clock, but I was aware of it. And yeah, I had you it knew in my it, head. So I had this pressure of like, I've got to get this baby out. And so they tried everything to get contractions going for me. I tried everything I knew of to get contractions going. They're like, go make out with your husband. I'm like, this is not like, (laughs) (laughs) this is not sexy (laughs) Yeah, to make out on demand after you've been laboring for basically 30 hours is like kind of tough. Um, and we hadn't done any cervical checks because I just didn't want to get in my head about it. And I really wanted to have an uninterrupted process. And my midwives were really respectful of that. Beautiful. Um, Which also decreased your risk of infection because your water was broken. Exactly. Exactly. So at basically 35 hours, they said, okay, it looks like we might need to do a transfer and you just need to go and get an epidural and um, let your body rest or maybe get some Pitocin. And I was like, no, I know what's going to happen if I do that. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, let's, ch- I don't know who said it, me or somebody said, well, let's check, let's do a check and see how far along I am. So Meg, my, one of my midwives check and she's like, your baby's here. You're fully That's complete. Amazing. Like amazing. she is here and we just got to get these contractions going. And I said, well, can I push her out without contractions? And she said, I've never seen anyone do that, but I've never seen you give birth. Yeah. And I was like, That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. And so yeah. Long, long story short, I pushed her out with no contractions. Amazing. Which, how long did you push for? I don't know. Hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not like, but it really, and that's the thing, like people ask me, is it painful? And I labor like contractions, they don't feel great. Yeah. And I really, like my doula was great. I learned the sounds to make. I knew that I could feel when they would peak and it's like, okay, I have this peak. I just got to get through the peak and then I'm going to come down and I'm going to get a break. So it was, for me, it was very manageable and it was purposeful. Mm-hmm. And I'm better. I'm somebody who's better. Like, I don't like people inflicting pain on me. Like I'll scream at an acupuncture needle, but when it's my own body, I don't know. There was just a sense of controls the wrong power, like empoweredness power. that I had. Yeah. yeah. 
And you also had a bunch of endorphins working with you as well. So, you know, anytime there's a normal physiological birth, you have this contraction, which is created by oxytocin, but oxytocin is also a love hormone. And then we have all these beta endorphins that are released and our endorphin levels are at the highest that they'll ever be in our life. So we have mm. this natural pain relief that's there, which, which basically makes us feel high. Like, yeah. you know, like, like you're out on another cloud, like you're on an ayahuasca journey, a mushroom journey, whatever you oh. want to call it, yeah. but you're, you're high when you're giving birth and it's all from your natural you know, endorphins and hormones in your body, which is really beautiful. It is beautiful. Cause I wasn't, even though my body was tired, I wasn't tired. I yeah. had no idea what time it was. I had all the clocks covered in my house. Um, and yeah. And with the pushing, like it definitely, like, I don't know, I was so in a zone and I was a little, there was a little bit of like, I've got to get this baby out. There was a little bit of that, but it was mostly like, I'm just, it's me and her and I'm in this zone and everybody like my team did a really good job of no one was panicking, which yeah, was great. Yeah. And, you know, she, she was born at home on, holding onto the stairwell banister in a squat. I love it. Um, yeah. Um, and it just, you know, like it wasn't that water birth, breathe her out to Enya or, you know, it's not in a car plane, but it was, it was a little more of like warrior woman of like, yeah wow, we're going to do this kind of thing. So, um, I want to talk about physiological birth. One of the reasons I brought that up is birth. It's like we, we can intend for a birth, but we sort of get the birth that we're meant to have, I think yeah. in so many ways. So yeah. for women who maybe didn't have the birth experience they want, um, how do, how do we heal that? And like, what can you, how can you speak to that? So I think my own story is a really good representation yeah. of what that looks like. And I always say that, um, you know, birth is what it needs to be. So even if you have like a easy first birth, that doesn't mean that your second birth is going to be the same because what that baby needs you to learn about yourself in that moment of birth is the skills that you're going to have with you to parent that child for the rest of its life. And so there's this whole beauty around surrender and this whole concept of really allowing the sacred contract of what is to come into that space. Because in the end, we really don't control anything. We we think we do. We pretend like we do. But really in the end of it, um, we just let things happen the way that they're supposed to happen and everything unfolds in a really beautiful manner. So for people that you know, cause this might be foreign. Like people, like there might be people listening right now that are like, what the hell are you guys talking about? I scheduled <laughs> three of my C-sections and I'm totally fine with the outcome. And like, mm -hmm. how is this even a conversation? And then I think what ends up happening is that when they listen to the words of this, there's something that's ignited within them that goes, I innately know that I'm missing out on something that was supposed to happen. And so my own experience with birth was... I got pregnant very young. I was 21 when I had my daughter and I was already working in the medical uh, field. I was working at a hospital down in Laguna Beach, California. And uh, I just fell into the routine standard procedures that happen. And I had every intervention that is common and normal and was induced and had my water broken and had an epidural and had, you know, all the things and ended up with a C-section. And I left that experience mourning so deeply, but not mm -hmm. knowing why I was mourning, um, a complete rite of passage that was stolen from me. 
And in the year of soul searching following her birth, you know, here I am 21 years old with nursing this beautiful little baby girl, like going, that that was wrong. Something happened that wasn't supposed to happen. I missed out on something. And I just started this deep plunge into what birth should be. And I, I use the word should loosely, but you know, really and truthfully, like birth is a normal process. So it should be just as normal as going to the bathroom and taking a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that same physiological process. And so I became a doula and I became a childbirth educator and I worked in the hospital and I taught all these women how to have these amazing births and question their doctors and have a birth plan. And I would go into the hospital and think that I was going in as a crusader to save these women from the doctors themselves. And what I realized is that A, the hospital got really pissed off at me because they had all these patients that were coming in questioning everything that they were doing routinely. Mm-hmm. And B, I felt like I was an accomplice to a crime in these hospital settings. And that me being there, my presence of being there, yeah, I was loving and sweet and my intention was good, but my presence wasn't actually saving anybody from anything. Mm. And in that moment, I realized that I had to journey to midwifery school. Like there was this huge, you know, like neon sign flashing in my face, like, Lens, this is the only thing that you're going to do to really bring women back to their power. Um, you know, and I journeyed through lactation for a little bit too. And that was so interesting because I would walk into the hospital, I'd look at the boards and I would, you know, go, okay, C-section, 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 and know that each and every one of those women would be in my clinic because of breastfeeding problems. Mm. And so I started midwifery school and I started attending births at home. And in that process, I became um, pregnant and consciously conceived my son. And uh, I mean, like I literally woke up in the middle of the night, five hours after having sex. And I said to my husband, I'm pregnant and it's a boy. I feel the light that just under my body. And he's like, you're crazy. Go back to bed. <laughs> and I was pregnant and it was a boy. And um, I had him at home in my jacuzzi under the stars in the middle of the summer. And um, it was a full 180 experience different than what I had with my daughter. And I will say that equally, uh, both were sacred and beautiful, but in different senses, because had I not had the experience of my daughter and it gone through that sacred contract, I don't know if I would have been a midwife. And um, astrologically speaking, they say that 21 years old, there's usually an event that sets the tone for the rest of your life. And like, hello, hello. <laughs> that sure set the tone of my life. Wow. And so, um, you know, there's, there's so many women that come to me with similar experiences with first births and they're seeking something totally different. And they, they get to step into a space of healing themselves and they get a step into a space where I'm not here to be their guru. I'm here to be their Sherpa, to walk alongside of them up this mountain. And I might have walked Mount Everest 1800 times before, and I know the gear to bring into the house and I know all these things, um, but I've never done it with this person. And so we get a journey together through this experience. And Mm -hmm. so... Um, there's so much that happens within going through the pregnancy together and then going through the birth together where he, so much healing can happen. And then on the contrary, there's people that never get to have this experience and still can have a really beautiful experience of healing anything that they feel like they've missed out on with their own birth experiences. You know, I, I'm talking grandparents, just talking to people about their birth experiences makes them feel seen and validated. And I feel like that's such an important piece of healing and holding space for them to be heard. Mm-hmm. So for for women that did not have the birth experience they wanted and may have some trauma around that, or maybe going, oh gosh, or going into the guilt, oh, did I mess up my child because yeah. I 
they mess up the bonding, you know? Um, and you know, I even have a story around that, that I still like wake up at night crying about, which is, so Athena was put right on my chest mm-hmm. and she was with me. She breastfed, we did all that. It was a little, you know, getting my placenta out was a little, like we had to focus on that a little bit, but she was with me and all that. And then after the breastfeed fed and everything was cleaned up and I think my midwives could see I was not in my body and I had just kind of been through, you know, and they said a lot and they said, she's, she's about to sleep for about four hours. Mm -hmm. We're going to, like, one of us is going to sit in the living room with her. You need to, you need to sleep. Like you've got to eat something and go to sleep. And so I was like, okay. And I still have so much guilt over that, that like, she wasn't with me naked on my chest. And like, why did I let her be swaddled and taken to the living room? And she should have been on me and all this kind of stuff. So I think no matter what it is, even the most perfect situation, there's still going to be things that can come up that that come up. And I think we can just nitpick our experience so much, you know, but I want to say to what you just said is that you're feeling that because that was an innate piece of the primitive brain that you really in, in like cave time, like that mm-hmm. could have never have happened. Right. Even if it was an auntie in the other part of the cave, like there could be a lion outside that would smell this fresh new baby. So right. that, that mother baby unit should always remain intact. And so that's you just acknowledging and realizing that that primitive brain, like that was a little severed piece. I mean, obviously you're connected to your baby and obviously you had a beautiful birth, but like know that that's because that's something inside of you that's remembering like mm-hmm. you know like oh wow maybe that shouldn't have been how it was and mm-hmm. maybe next time if there's a next time I'll do that different yeah yeah so how do we forgive ourselves for that like how do we you know forgive ourselves for that move on from that and like um not let it taint our experience with our child now because I I can think of one friend in particular who has so much guilt over the birth that's been hard for her to let go and you know, it's still like that grief she's carrying around. She said to me the other day, she's like, I, I think it's impacting my relationship. Her daughter's, I think, 14 months now um, because I'm still carrying that around. So how how do we let that go? Well, I think acknowledging it, number one, is the most important thing. Like actually like identifying what it is that is the shame or guilt uh, piece of that experience. And, you know, there's so many different ways that we can step into letting go of things, be it therapy, be it tapping, be it, um, you know, support groups. But I find that women um, going through those experiences and journaling them, and then in turn coming Mm -hmm. up with some sort of an affirmation that's different than what happened and repeating that to their body. So their body Mm -hmm. hears an experience like in that moment, that was, I'll, I'll use you for an example. In that moment, I did everything I could in my body to birth my baby at home. I was exhausted and my midwife lovingly suggested something so I could get sleep. I was, you know, just retrieved my baby from the stars and I listened to whatever I thought was the best advice in that moment. But Mm -hmm. now I realize that's not what I would have done Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, come up with some sort of affirmation around it. Like I still did the best I could for my baby and I still love and accept our journey together. And then that's just a mantra that's on repeat. That anytime you wake up in the middle of the night crying, you get to come back to that piece. You get to come back to that mantra of saying, you know, I still love and accept my experience of what happened and love and nurture my baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I want to, that brought up another question. I, I definitely want to get to the physiological birth piece and I don't, you can answer these in whichever order you think is, it's a correct. So I know for me and my experience, I've talked to other women about this as much as I was prepared for birth. There's also shock, especially nothing, if you've had any trauma. There's nothing that can prepare you. There's right. Nothing. There's, yeah, there's not, yeah. You, you're, you're absolutely right. There's zero. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, actually, I'm glad I was educated because mm-hmm. I was able, I think education is key. So you can make choices and, and I educated myself about birth and I understood the processes and you were all that power kind of stuff. entering into it. Yeah. 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 Um, but you're right. Nothing that can prepare you. Um, but even I, if I, you've given birth before, like there's this general, like kind of amnesia that comes with birth with all the hormones that we have that like, we like are like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'd ever do that again. And like two years later, you're like pregnant and you're like, I can't wait to do this again. <laughs> and then you're in it and you're like, holy shit, why am I doing this again? And then it's that same thing where you're like, nothing could have prepared me for this moment. Like in this moment right now, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done, but guess what? I'm going to do it. Yeah. 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 It's so true. It's one of the hardest and best. Um, okay. So, oh, question was, that often, like I know for me and for many women I've talked to, you actually go into shock, like after you have the baby. So I, sometimes I see videos of women, they have their baby and they're blissed out and, you know, they seem like they're more in this oxytocin rush mm-hmm. and other times it's like shock, right? Then the nervous system is shocked. And I think this is just good to keep in mind to talk to your partner about if you're about to have a baby, like if you do have one of those more kind of in shock experiences after birth. Which is a nervous system response. Mm-hmm. And, and it depends on the level of trauma that you've had in your life. And so if you go into a fight or flight nervous system response, or if you go into a dorsal nervous system response where you like think of a, a possum playing dead, right? Like you mm-hmm. just kind of like curl into a ball and, and pretend like mm-hmm. the world can't see you. And so that's that's that fluctuation between that scale. And even if you've done all the work in the world and you know your traumas and you know exactly what happens, you don't know how your body's going to respond to that moment. Mm-hmm. And then you could throw in the whole sexual abuse piece where we know that one in three women have been sexually abused mm-hmm. and we don't know how women are going to respond in that moment because you actually have complete, you have to completely surrender to the lack of control that you have of your sexual mm-hmm. organs in that moment. And that's really scary too. So it, it is that sliding scale of where the partner does need to have complete awareness of what might happen. And ho- hopefully if you're choosing a midwife experience and a home birth experience, your midwives will be really tuned into that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for those who do go into more, one of those trauma responses, um, what are some things we can do post-birth to help regulate? My favorite thing ever is, and I do this at every single birth I attend, is I actually have massage oil in my my birth kit. Every single woman gets it. And after she gives birth, I sit at her feet and massage her legs for about an hour after birth. Wow. And that touch stimulates that coming back into the body it relaxes the woman. It gives that woman oxytocin to fall more in love with her baby, to help with, you know, contracting her uterus for the placenta to come out, to help with stimulating her milk supply, her oxytocin for all of her prolactin levels. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most beautiful things that I think I can ever gift a woman with a birth mm-hmm. experience. And mm-hmm. the feedback I get on that from women, I mean, m- 
almost all the time, they tell me that was their favorite part of the birth experience mm. because here they are, their newborn babies on their chest, the, their newborn babies, you know, rooting around trying to get to the breast and they're not paying attention to me rubbing their legs, but they can feel the love. Mm-hmm. They can feel the grounding. They can feel that tactile stimulation to bring them back down to earth. Mm. Oh gosh. I wish you would have been first doing that that would have been really super helpful but but what a simple thing for anybody to do right Right, like it's not like it's like Lindsay's magical hands like it's like any person could do that any partner could do that any doula could do that any midwife could do that I mean it's something that's so simple to incorporate in after birth and it's something that's just so intentional I actually um trained a midwife that opened a birth center in Africa and the midwives in Africa and I haven't been so I'm I'm speaking from hearsay but I think it's a lot different than the culture here it's it's really more of like a job and it's nothing that's like reverent and it's kind of the women are treated like crap over there even in the intention of this woman creating this beautiful sacred birth center and she said to me, Lynn, how do I get these midwives to massage these African women after they give birth? And it's a faith-based birth center. And I said, you need to come up with a prayer. It needs to be requir- required that every woman is prayed over after they give birth. And as they're praying over this woman, they're massaging this woman. And so even if it's 30 seconds, even if it's five minutes, mm-hmm. whatever it is, the prayer that's spoken over this mother and this baby is something that's done routinely after every single birth as they massage this woman. Mm-hmm. I love that. The simple things are so powerful. They're you so know, powerful. Our bodies are so responsive. I would want to go back to physiological birth because I think that um, that was a term that I hadn't heard until I was pregnant. It's like birth is birth. What's this physiological birth thing? Yeah. yeah. Can you explain that? So, you know, um, physiological birth is just normal birth. It's birth. It's not interfered with. It's birth that is allowed to happen in a way that the chemistry of our brains is supposed to work. And I really like to give the analogy of a rosebud opening with the sun. And, um, you know, the the rose has grown to its mature age to open and blossom. And um, if we were to sit every morning and try to peel back each rose petal from that rose, we would basically have a disintegrated rose at the end of the at the end of the experience, not a rose that had bloomed. And I like to use that in comparison to a physiological birth because to me, it's the same thing as let's just even call it the cervix. Like if we keep going in and trying to get the cervix to dilate and doing manual things mm-hmm. to dilate the cervix, um, that that takes away from the experience of this physiological birth. Now, I want you to visualize this to those that are listening inside of your brain. I want you to imagine two flowers and it's this neuropathway connection that's created in our brains when we have the the highway of hormones that talk back and forth to each other. So on one side of your brain, there's the receptor sites that receive this hormones. And then on the other side of the brain, there's these um, receptor sites that are throwing off the hormones to the other side. It happens in perfect synergy. It's a it's a pattern that goes back and forth and back and forth. Now, if one side of the receptor is closed and that rosebud hasn't opened yet, it's not going to catch all those oxytocin molecules to start the contraction process. But once both of those roses are open and blooming, then that synergy between the two creates that normal physiological birth experience. And in that moment, 
then that's when we have this optimization of all of these hormones that create contractions mm. and that bring contractions closer together. Now, oxytocin is what we get when we hug somebody. Oxytocin is what we get when we stare into someone's eyes. Oxytocin is what we get when we kiss somebody. It's the same hormone that has that starts labor. It's the same hormone that we get released when our babies breastfeed. And mm. so it's this like fuzzy, warm, loving hormone. Mm. And it, you know, we have to be in a loving space to receive that. Mm-hmm. So if we're residing in a place of fear, anytime that we're bringing fear into that birth space, that physiological process gets turned upside down and we have to try to find the synthesis within that because our bodies are always trying to repair. And so we have this whole you know, loop of our body trying to repair itself. Now, when you take birth into a hospital, one of the most common drugs that's given in birth is Pitocin. Pitocin is synthetic oxytocin and it's given via an IV and it floods our system. So even if that receptor site that's open, that's supposed to be catching the natural oxytocin is, you know, open 30%, any bit of that 30% is going to get, you know, jammed full of this synthetic hormone to try and make our body contract. And you lose the whole, the whole process there because then it's controlled. Birth is controlled by an IV, by a machine, by a machine that pings, you know, it's, it's this whole process of really, um, having a medical system control something that really shouldn't be controlled. And I'm not anti-medicine. There are time and a place for Pitocin, there's a time and a place for an epidural. There's a time and a place for cesarean. But for the majority of women, you look at my C-section rate in my practice, everywhere, every year it's around 4% um, of my clients that have a C-section, which is really low, you know, really compared low. to the 30 to 40% of our nationwide average. That's minuscule. And that's because my women enter into this space, hopefully with zero to little fear. And we allow that normal physiological process to unfold and happen the way that their body was intended to. What are, because here's, here's a lot of the things that women are told they C-section for, or to be induced. So like to be induced, um, you're over 40, one 42 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, your amniotic fluid is this or that. Um, C-section, your baby's too big. Your baby's breech. You had a C-section with your first birth, so you need it for your second birth. Can you start busting some of these myths? Yeah. I mean, I have one word for all of this and it's liability. Mm-hmm. So we, we operate within a litigious community uh, within the medical system where yeah. anything that is not done to quote unquote, save the mother and baby is something that could end up in a malpractice lawsuit. And unfortunately, that's how the medical field practices medicine with all things. It's not just obstetrical care, like it's across the board. That's just how we we have it in this culture. And um, I don't practice, you know, this kind of grand catch-all way of doing medical care. Everything that I do in my practice is individualized. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there might be a guideline where we don't like amniotic fluid index over 20, but let's look at why the amniotic fluid index is over 20 and how is mom hydrating herself throughout the day? Mm -hmm. And have we looked at her glucose levels and have we made sure that there was nothing anatomically wrong with baby? And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's all these things that we get to go through instead of just putting a label on somebody's head and Mm -hmm. saying, sorry, this is this, and you can't have a a home birth or you need to have a C-section or whatever the case is. And so 
if you're ever in a situation where those things are happening, I encourage you to reach out to somebody in the birth community that's not in the medical system and say, you know, this is what I was told. Like, where can I find information to do research on my own to see if this is actually something that applies to me and puts me and my baby in in harm? Because the odds are that it, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, you were that person for me. So thank you. Yeah, of course. It was, it was really special mm-hmm. to be on the other side of that for you. No, I appreciate that because there were some scary things being said. You might have gestational diabetes. You're going to have cord prolapse, like all these things that were like, you know, went from feeling like I had a really healthy, no problem pregnancy to, to being scared. Yeah. Um, which is not the way you want to go into birth. No, like I said, that fear has no place in the birth space. It really doesn't. Like we don't want to have that enter into the birth space because then in turn, it totally messes up the normal physiological experience. Yeah. One of the things that was comforting for me and that I was able to share with people that were very concerned I was having a home birth, especially at my age, was, you know, my midwife said to me, like, Christine, if something's like really going wrong, it's it's not like in one minute, it's it happens. Like we, there are warning signs. Mm-hmm. We have a procedure, like there are hospitals close by. So I, I love to like unpack and dispel some of the myths about home birth and how dangerous yeah. it is. Yeah. And like how, and also, you know, one of the things that I hear from a lot of people too, that don't want to have a home birth is they live too far from a hospital. Mm-hmm. Like if something does go wrong. So can you just kind of talk about those, those concerns around home birth? Yeah. So every midwife practice is going to have a different practice in in the way that they see their clients. And so I'm going to speak to how I see my clients within my practice. And it's, it's one-on-one care. Like it's, it's me. I'm, I'm a midwife. I, I have a partner that backs me up in, you know, if I ever have two people in labor at the same time, but throughout the whole pregnancy, they're seeing me. So there's, there's a continuity of care that's developed within that relationship. And what that means is that I know that woman so deeply. I know what's normal for her body. I know what's normal for her baby. And I also have the inherent trust that she knows her body and her baby better than anybody else. So I really reach into letting my clients know that their intuition is super important to the part of practice that I have. Like it's, it's, it's an integral piece to midwifery care. Now, um, with that being said, if there was something that was supposed to, you know, we're like, we're watching everything's going. And if anything starts to veer outside of that normal for mom and normal for baby, there's going to be a little thing in my head that goes up and goes, oh, there's a tiny little red flag here. Mm-hmm. And then I watch a little bit more closely. And if there's another little red flag, I go, mm, okay, there's another tiny little red flag here. And in that moment, I usually look at the mom and say, are you fearing something? Is there something you're scared of right now? Is there something your baby is trying to communicate to you? Mm. Usually those emotional releases of fear let go of those red flags. But if the red flag continues and gets bigger, then we transfer into a hospital. Mm. Um, I live in Orange County, California. There's a hospital within every 15 minutes of where I live here. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking to women that say that they're too far from the hospital, I want to remind you that prior to 1900, every single baby was born at home, regardless if a hospital was 15 hours away or 10 minutes away. And so, and let's go forward to 2023. There's still women all over the planet right now that are giving birth without any access to a hospital. They have to get on the back of a motorcycle and 
you know, drive 10 hours to the closest birth center with midwives if, if they feel called to. And so we have to come back to the innate belief that birth is as safe as life gets. That's just, that's just the reality, you know, for 8 billion people birth worked and they're here. So, um, it's it's really coming away from this distrust in our body. And this is not just in obstetrics. This is literally across the board. We have such a distrust in our bodies with our abilities to trust our immune systems, to mm-hmm. think that there's a greater power outside of our immune systems that are going to make us healthier and come back to knowing that our bodies are always trying to repair themselves. They're always in a synergistic pattern to repair themselves. And we just have to believe that by what we're putting into it, the foods that we're eating, the water that we're drinking, the emotions that we're allowing in, the um, soil that we're stepping in. There's there's this whole piece of making sure that we have this uh, healthy macrocosm so our microcosms are mm-hmm. at peace with what's going on. And so, um, you know, I say midwifery is kind of the gateway drug. <laughs> it's the gateway drug to the black hole of natural health and the belief in the body. Because once you experience your body working in, you know, with itself to go through such a miraculous thing, then you really do step into this this belief system of how incredible our bodies are to do so many other things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I so I felt um so empowered you know, just learning about birth and, and, and I also respect every, you know, people's choice. There's some women who may like, actually their fear hospitals are safe places for them and their yeah. fear might be better in a hospital. Of and course. I do know women that have great hospital experiences. So and do I think I. There are hospitals, especially that are run by midwives that have great birth. So I don't hear you saying, and I'm definitely not saying either that like home birth is the only way to go. No. And if you don't do it that way, you're doing it wrong. No I way. just want to be super clear about that. What I'm hearing you saying is you you wish for women to ha- be empowered, yeah. to have the birth that they, you know, to intend to have the birth that they design mm-hmm. and to not let anyone else come in and tell them the birth that they need to have or what, what they need to do or anything like that. Because that's one of the first lessons in motherhood is really trusting yourself of course, <laughs> and of not course. going to authority sources and all of that is just really yeah. trusting ourselves. I always come back to saying like, I don't care if you give birth on the side of a river next to a tree with you know a family of deers watching you, or if you schedule your C-section, as long as you are getting what it is truly that you desire with informed consent, then that is the most important piece of birth for anybody. Like, yeah. please be informed, please enter into this, knowing that you can get whatever it is that you want and be empowered throughout the entire experience. I had a client once who was um, supposed to have a home birth and um, she had gone through sexual abuse in her past and it came up very strong in her labor, very, very, very strong to where I I could tell exactly the age that she was sexually abused at mm. because of where she was reverting back to with the sounds of her screams and stuff mm. like that. And she looked at me in the middle of her birth and she said, I want a C-section. And I mm. said, what'd you just say? Say that again. Mm-hmm. And she screamed, I want a C-section. Mm. And I said, let's go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I didn't, there was no reason to go to the hospital. Her birth was happening. It was, she was mm-hmm. progressing. We went to the hospital. I said, she's coming in. She wants a C-section. The doctor said, okay. 
and they didn't really ask too many questions. I gave them a little bit of history about their back, but she went through that entire experience more empowered than any person I've ever seen give birth. Mm-hmm. She, for the first time in her life, took back control over her body where she had none throughout her mm-hmm. childhood. Mm-hmm. So t- trust me, a-, a home birth does not mean that's the most empowered experience. Like someone standing in their power and claiming what it is that they need is the most mm-hmm. empowered experience. Oh, that story gave me all the feels. I got chills. I want to cry. <laughs> it just yeah. gave me all the, yeah. all the, all the feels. I'm sure you have hundreds of stories like that. I do. I do. And it's quite beautiful to witness. I feel like I have such deep reverence and, uh, you know, to step into that holy sacred Mm -hmm. space and be it at home, be it in an operating room, it's still sacred, holy space. Yeah. For partners listening, how can they best support their pregnant and birthing mama? So I think it's working through their fears together because for us to say that this is just about mom is a joke. This is about a family-centered experience. And we both enter into this partnership of creating a child and raising this child together. So we both have to be in this clear communication of what it is that our needs are, what it is that our fears are, and what we desire together to consciously create this family. And so I think that being present with your partner and having a a safe space where we can communicate these needs is one of the most important things because once we get on the same page, then what happens is we support each other exactly the way that we need to be supported. And what we think might be the way that we need to be supported might be totally different than how we need to be supported in the moment. It's about being adaptable and being able to flow with what it is that we need in that moment. Mm, That's so true. And I, I feel like especially like thinking about my husband, even though he kind of felt powerless. Well, one thing that's helpful in our birth might be helpful to other people is I really made a list of here's things not to say, and here's things to say. (laughs) Here's what I don't want to hear. And here's what to say, but like him really being present and in it with me Mm -hmm. um, and not going and taking a nap, even though the doula was like, go take a nap. He's like, no, I'm with her. Like if she wants to sleep, I'll sleep with her. Like and not in a martyr kind of way, but in a, like, this is, this is our baby. And though, even though he didn't have the hormones rushing through him, I imagine the partner or, and they release some hormones. Do they have any kind of hormonal experience? Yeah, of course I get horm- a hormonal experience. Yeah. There, there's a real thing of a birth high, you know, like mm. the, the oxytocin is palpable in those rooms. Like, you know, we all get the boost of it. So we all fall in love with each other in those experiences. Yeah. It really is beautiful. Um, I know we're coming up on time. When I was going through learning about birth and watching the business of being born, I was just like, oh my gosh, how did we get here? You know, we talked a little bit about that. If there's one thing, and and you've said like, educate yourself, get informed. And I'm going to ask you later, what are some good sources? You listed one. If you could scream from the rooftops, anything about birth, like that you, or a couple things that you just wish everyone knew, what would it be? (sighs) Ah. So I think that the the most important piece is coming back to the remembering within yourself of what is something that is so primal that all of our generations have gone through. There's some so many times that women come into my office and they say, what about this? I need to take this. What about this? Do I need to do this? Do I need to have six dates a day? Do I need to take evening primrose oil? Do I need to go to the acupuncturist? 
And I always say to these women, what would your great cave grandmother do? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, there for sure was a town midwife that knew the local herbs that were in season. But if you weren't living in the Mediterranean or a place that had dates accessible to you, you would Mm -hmm. not be worrying about eating six dates a day for your cervical (laughs) softening. So it's stepping so much further back and taking out that piece of all the things that we should be doing and coming back to the stillness within ourselves of remembering and knowing that what we're doing is enough. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's so simple. You know, it's not like I have this grandiose thing to say of like, you know, one thing that everybody should be doing Mm -hmm. because once we come back to that simpleness and that stillness in that space, we all get to step into this innate knowing of our sense of power, of our sense of creation, of our sense mm. of ability to love. And I feel like that's one of the most important, impactful things that we can do on this earth. Mm. And that's so beautiful because it'd be easy to, you know, go, doctors say this and this is wrong, or hospitals say this is this is wrong, and da, 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 da. And it's it's more about empowering us to one, educate ourselves and tap into our own inner wisdom because yeah. it's like through that. I mean, one of the feminine superpowers is discernment, yeah. you know, and I would, you know, that was one of the things I really tried to keep in mind throughout my pregnancy is, I mean, the big, one of the biggest things I had to just delete, 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 delete was the age stuff because it's yeah. just so pervasive. Maybe I mean, they talk- call you, they call you geriatric, like what a freaking oh, yes. insult. You know yes. what I mean? Like you are pregnant. How the hell does that make you geriatric? Yeah. Your body yeah. had the ability to get pregnant. Like that's amazing. You have a cycle, you're you have perfect fertility. Like there's so many mm-hmm. things where you're like, how is this geriatric? Why are we even stamping a label on this? Yeah. And I feel like, you know, especially in our culture, because there are so many families that are waiting until having kids until later mm-hmm. in life, that we really need to reevaluate this. You know, yes. I had two women last year in my practice that gave birth at 45 years old. Yeah. And, you know, most people would think that that risks you out of home birth completely. And it's like, are you healthy? Yeah. Okay, great. Then let's have a home birth. You know, yeah. is your baby healthy? Okay, great. Let's have a home birth. Obviously we make sure like with every other client that I have that they continue throughout the pregnancy in a healthy manner. But if that's the case, then why would that be different than anybody else? It's just a stupid label that we put on for the sake of liability. Yeah, it all comes back to liability, doesn't it? it all comes back to liability. Oh, yeah. Um, resources. Do you have any favorites that you like to recommend? Yeah. So there's, oh my goodness, there's so many good books and everything out there. So um, one of my favorites that people always find such a good resource is Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. That's a really good one. There's so many online classes that have popped up since 2020 that are really good resources, um, like pain-free birth and... Um, Oh gosh, I I can't even think of them off the top of my head, but there's just so many places where women can step into a space of just creating a couple hours a week for Mm -hmm. themselves to get education and feel empowered. What did you use for your childbirth method? For me? Yeah. My method? What do you mean my method? Like, did you take like a hypnobirthing class? Oh gosh, girl, I did it all. I did hypnobirthing. I did all the anime stuff. I read or I listened to orgasmic birth. Uh I did all the spinning babies. Yeah. Um, those are my my go-tos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like the hypnobirth thing I really love because we get to Mm -hmm. sit and listen to affirmations. So Mm -hmm. many of these programs have such beautiful affirmations that just, you know, bring us back to the recentering. And it's actually something that I'm going to be recording here in the next week is some new pregnancy affirmations. 
and um, that are more spirit based. I feel like it's so middle of the road. Like it's either like there's Christian hypnobirthing, which is amazing, mm-hmm. um, and then there's you know just this kind of standard script where I'm like, no, let's like let's bring back in the elements and let's bring it back to you know some spiritual elements. Oh, and, I love that. Yeah, I can't wait for that. So um, yeah, I, I just I just feel like if you if you do if you reach out, you look online. There's so many there's so many different things that you can af- find that would align with you um, that are out there, and there's such a big community. You know, just finding Instagram accounts that post normal birth is education. Yeah. You yeah. know, just being exposed to that is huge, and so yeah. I feel like it's so accessible and at our fingertips in this day and age with our yeah. technology that um, it's it's very easy to find something that aligns with with what you are needing, so to speak. Yeah. I can't believe so many birthing videos are deleted or hidden from Instagram because it's like, like it's birth. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. Oh, um, well, Lindsay, I mean, I could talk to you for days. I seriously could. You're just an angel on oh, earth. Thank so you for you. the work that you, you do. I mean, truly like, it's just, it's just, it's God's work. Thank you. Um, I feel that too. I I really feel super grateful to be able to step into that space where the richness and abundance of that holiness is there. Mm. And I'm just, I just feel, you know, I drop to my knees in gratitude so often about how lucky I am to be in that space. It's beautiful. It really, truly is. Um, I know every, every pregnant woman is going to be like, can you be my midwife? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I know that you're doing these affirmations. Tell people where they can connect with you and what you have available that people can, can learn from you. Yeah. So um, the best place to connect with me is um, my website, which is the rememberingco um, On there, there's going to be courses. I'll be teaching a doula course here uh, in December, which certifies women to help support women giving birth. Um, I, you know, all these affirmations will be released soon. I'm planning two retreats next year um, for women to come together, not even have to be birth workers, but just anyone that's interested in stepping into creating vulnerable sacred space. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, that's just the best place to kind of check in and see what aligns with you. And always my Instagram, I'm always posting the, the images that get blurred or <laughs> restricted, um, but they're still there and I don't get taken down for it. So you just have to click a thing that says you, you accept that there's nudity behind this, <laughs> behind this page. So, um, and my Instagram is just my name, uh, at Lindsay Milis. And I know that you guys will have show notes underneath that could link yeah. to that. I will. I will. Well, this has just been so rich and and thank you. Thank you yeah, for thank just you. taking this into our portal and, and educating in such a beautiful way and really just bringing it back to women of like, this is about your power. You know, yes. there's no right way to birth. There's your way to birth. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. That's one of the things I, one of the many things I got from this conversation. I thank love you that. so much. Beautiful. Thank you for allowing us to have this conversation. It's just been such a beautiful way to share with women what's possible. Yeah. 